What's your secret? Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Secret. My name is Ace Fanning, and I am here with very good news for you. I busted my ass off, and I got this entire series down into only two parts instead of three. So you don't have to wait another week for the final part of this story. But in order to do that, this episode is not like a traditional episodes. I will be cutting in to let you know where we are at in the story and what you missed. So I'm giving you a complete story. But if you want to hear some of those parts that had to be cut out, I will be putting them together in a Patreon episode this week. And don't write me. Don't fucking write me and say that you don't like when I promote Patreon because I'm I'm sucking the dick at both ends here, man. Like, I'm trying to give you guys only a two-part episode. I have to cut parts out. But if you do want to hear it, I'm giving you an opportunity to. So the story will jump a little bit, but I promise you, in the end, you will have everything you need to know. And in case you need a refresher, here is where we ended last week's episode. So yeah, for like three years of my teenage life, that's what it was. I was being punished for being a bad evil woman and giving someone else sexual fantasies and then suddenly being engaged to him. Now, back to the story. This week's secret, The Cult, part two. You said you see your mom in the grocery store. Oh, yes. And yeah. do you talk? No. <gasps> Which is the other part of the story that we haven't even touched on yet of how I got kicked out and what happens and that whole thing. And like <sighs> I said, there's a lot to the story. <laughs> okay, keep going. So I became engaged to that boy. And we went through the process of... We were looking for homes for our parents. We're going to help us buy a house. Like, and, and I'm sorry, these are not things that a 16 year old should be thinking about. Like buying a house. Come on, <laughs> we didn't even have money. Like, we had jobs, but how were we going to buy a house? Like, what was going to happen? I was going to be pregnant at 16 years old. Like, come on, how could your parents let you do that? That's the question that went through my head. But I was going along with it. I thought I loved him. I didn't have anything to compare it to. And then. I started going to college classes, starting college classes, and I met a boy that wasn't part of my church and fell in love. We had a very frank conversation one day, hanging out, where I was wearing my engagement ring, and he asked me if that's really what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And he called me a child bride. Something about that moment just made me snap. It was like a wake-up moment where 
I asked myself, like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on right now? How am I 16 years old and I've been through all this in life? I've raised my siblings. I've gone through all this trauma. Why am I signing myself up for more of it? I broke up with the boyfriend, my fiance. How did that go? Not well. My parents were not happy. His parents were not happy. He was definitely not happy. The guy that I had been hanging out with to become friends with, um, we were still friends, but we didn't start dating at that point in time. And I actually met someone else and started dating another guy. Dude, I kind of went crazy at that point in time and like went the opposite direction and like started dating all these different guys who weren't a part of my parents' church. And I started hanging out with friends from work and I didn't spend much time at my parents' house anymore. I was on my way out. Okay. But that conversation with that friend, that was the defining moment for me where I was like, I have to get the hell out of here. But it was slow, and there was a lot of things that happened between that moment and me actually getting out um, over the course of a year. Um, I dated dated different guys, was messing around with different guys. I got engaged to another guy who wasn't in my parents' church, but my parents, like, tried to bring him into our church and then, like, pressured him into proposing to me, and he did, and I accepted. And then, like, two days later, was like, no, I'm not like, I'm not going to be a 16 year old bride. Like why are people pushing me into getting married? And it was because I was at that point in time where I was 16 years old and I had some more freedom because I had a job. I had some money. I had friends who weren't in that church. I had a start of another life and they were grasping on the straws, trying to keep me there and getting married was the way to keep me there. So they were pushing it, pushing it, and pushing it. And around that same time, my brother next in age to me, who was two years younger than me. So at this time, he would have been 14, turning 15. He was dating a girl who wasn't in our church. We were like best friends, my brother and I. And we spent most of our time together. We had friends outside of church. We were kind of talking about leaving together and exploring what that might look like. And he got a girl pregnant. Oh, God. Which was my fault, naturally, because I was supposed to be their chaperone. And somehow they snuck off and got pregnant while I was watching them. Did he blame you? No, no, my brother did not blame me. My parents did. Everyone else did. And that happening led to me getting kicked out because my brother finds out he's having a baby. He decides he's not going to leave the church. He relies on my parents for a place to live. He's not ready to make that jump to being basically homeless. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that was our option was like, leave home and you're homeless, you know? (laughs) And he decides to stay in my parents' church. He and my dad start arguing about this pregnancy. And the girl did not want to be part of our church. So my dad decided that they needed to get an abortion. Oh, God. And I called my dad out on it. And we got into a big fight. And... 
my dad kicked me out. And that was the day I left. So I was 17 years old and homeless. I had a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a GED. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have any proof of my education. I was homeschooled. When I was um, nine and we started the cult, my parents stopped having me state tested. So I didn't have any record of my education from nine years old until 17, except for the couple of college classes I had taken. I suddenly found myself completely on my own. And I had some friends that I was able to stay with. I couch surfed. I got another job. I worked 40 to 50 hours a week. And then I found out that I was being excommunicated from my parents' church. And being excommunicated from my parents' church meant that they weren't allowed to talk to me or have anything to do with me at all. It's like being shunned. You're being shunned and you're cut off from God. They literally do a ceremony where they cut you off from God. Oh God. And that happened and my family stopped talking to me. I went from being a parent to my siblings to not being able to see them or talk to them. My grandmother passed away a year later and we were all at her funeral and they wouldn't talk to me at her funeral. They wouldn't let my siblings talk to me. In fact, one of my younger siblings came up and tried to give me a hug and my parents basically ripped them off of me and they're like, no, you no, you can't have anything to do with them. Okay, if you remember back to last week's episode, I told you that this interview happened through two different calls because of time restrictions. And what you just heard, that was basically where the last call ended. And in this next part, you'll hear some repeat information, but I purposely kept it in there because... I think she shed more light on some of the topics she was trying to hurry and get through. Because during the first call, we had no idea we would be having a second. And she wanted to make sure she got everything out there she could before our time ran out. Okay, so this is all happening my brother is dating a girl who's the younger sibling to one of my friends. We've been talking with like their family about things that are happening and their parents are telling us, you know, this is not right. This is alarming to us. Um, so we're talking about possibly leaving. And at that point in time, I'm just not totally sure what that looks like, how I'm going to untangle myself from all of this because, you know, I'm 16 going on 17 he's 14 going on 15. We don't have resources except for we do have our jobs and some friends, but, but that's about it. So we don't really know what to do. Like, and, and there was an aspect also for me of, well, if we leave home and try to get ourselves emancipated, like what happens to our other siblings? Does CPS get involved? Do our siblings get taken away from our parents? Like it just felt like a whole can of worms was going to open. So we were kind of being delicate about it. Looking, I mean, I know that you were, during that time, you were thinking from a place of fear. Now, as an adult, looking back on the environment that you were raised in, do you think that 
CPS would have gotten involved? Yes, I do. And I say that because there was, especially earlier on for me, I was still being like heavily spanked. They call it spanked, but it was basically beaten until about the time that I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. Like we're talking like stripping me out of my clothes, beating me, kind of spanking. There was a lot of punishments that involved removal of food, um, isolation, a lot of things that now looking back, I'm like, parents now can have your kids taken away for very, very simple things. The things that are happening to us, definitely CPS would have gotten involved. And that weighed very heavy on me because as bad as I knew it was what we were going through, I also didn't want to see my siblings get separated and put in different homes and go through the foster system. Because even though I didn't know much about the foster system at that point in time, I still knew enough to know that it wasn't going to probably be a very good experience. And I could have been wrong, but that was what my, that's where my mindset was at that point in time. And then, so my brother and his girlfriend got pregnant and that was a huge traumatic thing because um, like I said, he was just recently turned 15. <laughs> she was 17. So my brother is trying to make sense of all of this. Like it's just this huge thing that's just taking over his life. And he and my dad get into this big argument because my parents wanted her to come to our church and her parents wouldn't let her. So my dad basically told my brother that because she wasn't going to be part of our church, that they needed to get an abortion. That was the only reason. And my dad and I got in this huge fight. I called him out on the whole abortion thing. I didn't want him being pressured into pressuring his girlfriend to make a choice when it was her body and her choice. The thing is, though, if you're pro-choice, you're pro someone choosing that for themselves, not pro someone exactly. telling you this is what you need to do. Right. And so I was getting very frustrated that my super religious father, who's supposed to be <laughs> anti-abortion um, and anti-birth control and anti-sex education and all of that is sitting here telling my 15-year-old brother that his girlfriend needs to get an abortion simply because they won't be part of our church. So I called him out on that. And I, I basically ripped him a new one and told him that he was a poor excuse for a father and should be setting a good example for my brother who's going through the craziest time of his life, let alone being 15 years old and dealing with this. And so my dad literally pushed me out the door, locked it and said, do not come back. And that was the night that I left. I just can't imagine being so cold and so cut off of like, get out of here and don't come back. My husband went through a lot of shit in high school and did some drugs and got in trouble. And yet his family, they didn't kick him out. Like they supported him and helped him out and got him through it so that he can be the person that he is today. And when I met my husband and, and heard his story, it made me realize that's the moment I realized how fucked up it was what my parents had done because I can't fathom as a parent, my kids ever doing something so bad to the point where I would just 
disown them. I, I personally can't fathom that. And if my in-laws are the kind of people who could support their son through getting in trouble with the law and still love him and not do things like kick him out and just help him through it, like, what was wrong with my parents? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was mad at my dad for trying to get my brother to have an abortion. Like, yeah, as a parent, I just can't fathom kicking my kid out. That was a really, really rough night. I, it was snowing outside. It was like super cold out and snowing. And, um, I sat on the front porch and I, all my stuff was in the house. I didn't even have my cell phone on me. I had to knock on the door and ask my dad to use the phone so I could call my boyfriend to have him come pick me up. And he did. He let me use the phone. Like he literally just handed it out to me and my dad let me get some of my stuff and um, my boyfriend dropped me off at my friend's house. And at that point, that was literally, I never went back home. When my mom got home from her trip, my dad spun the whole story and told her that I ran away. I'm pretty sure my mom knew the truth because I told her my side of it too, but she you know, took my dad's side. And I later, <laughs> I actually didn't find this out until about two or three years ago, but, um, they told all of our extended family that I had run away because I was a drug addict and I was a prostitute selling myself for drugs. Oh God. I was the most straight edge kid you could have asked for, but that's what they told our family. (laughs) When I hear that, I think about the fact that like, if I had kids, you know, I, Actually, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day. When we have kids, we don't want to be those people who are constantly just like openly complaining about their kids. Like even if our kids so fucking, mm. I don't want everyone to know. Like we have the same rule with ourselves. Like if we get in a fight, my wife and I have never like vented to someone else about the argument mm. that we're in. Like I just never want to. You never want to paint your spouse or your child in like a bad light, and then then be like, God, that kid is yeah. a monster or anything. And do you right. think that do you think that your parents did that because they were trying to like protect their own ass and get people to, which is again, yeah, city thing of like this is your child. Yes, they were completely protecting themselves because at that point, it essentially cut me off from my extended family because I didn't have any of their contact information, and it's, this was like early Facebook days, like back when you had to be a college student and have a college email address to get Facebook. So it wasn't like I could find my extended family on social media. The only way I could get a hold of them was to literally have their phone numbers or show up at their house if I had their address. And I didn't have any of those things. It basically cut me off from my extended family because I couldn't contact them because my parents wouldn't give me their information. And they didn't contact me because my parents also didn't give them my information, but also fed them the story about how I was basically like lost. So they essentially protected themselves and cut me off from having support. So I'm stuck relying on friends because I'm still underage at this point and I have no resources except for my job. So I'm, I'm couch surfing with friends who have their own apartments, like 18, 19 year old friends, my boyfriend's family let me stay a little bit at their house. I'm basically just couch surfing for the next year until I can turn 18 and get my own apartment. 
and I'm working two jobs. Like I'm working 40, 50 hours a week to support myself. So my resources at this point in time, in my life are extremely low. And if I had reached out and, and gone other routes, looking back, I would have had more support and better options. But at that point in time, I was still fairly uneducated about life outside of our group. When you, I didn't know what the resources available were and I didn't have the right people in my life pointing me towards those resources. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to like early emancipation, those kind of things, getting declared homeless by the state, like things that could have gotten me the resources I need to get on my feet. I just did it myself. But here's the thing. And I want you to really let this sink in is I am almost 30 years old and I mean, I'm a fairly educated person and I don't know any of those things. I don't know how to go that route. I wouldn't know how to, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And you were 17, grew up in this cult that completely cut you off from the world. You know, I think you did the absolute best that you could. Oh, definitely. I mean, I did the only things I knew how to do and I was just surviving. And luckily for me, I've always been a pretty good survivor. I was pretty resourceful on my own anyway. So I was able to, to do the things I needed to do just to get to work and survive. The unfortunate part was that the guy I was seeing at the time turned out to be a psychopath. And so for the next couple years of my life, I'm in this relationship with him and we move in together um, when I turn 18 and he is abusive and I kind of go through the ringer with him. And then we moved to another town, a bigger city. And at this point in time, I'm going through PTSD and I have no idea. I had no idea. I wasn't seeing a therapist. I didn't think anything was wrong with me. I thought I was okay. I didn't realize how bad it was. I just thought this was a normal relationship because I grew up seeing abusive relationships and people being treated unkindly and emotional abuse. So for me, this relationship I'm in, I think this is normal. And I get to the city and connect with my maternal grandmother because she lives there. Um, I finally get a hold of her and we meet up and I find out all these things about my parents and how they've been essentially kind of keeping me away from my family. Um, my grandmother was super worried. Like when we met, she, she cried and broke down because she hadn't heard from me in a couple of years. And she thought that I was missing essentially. Like she didn't even know if I was alive. And that's for me when really I started realizing how bad things had been and started doing some processing. But my grandmother was in poor health and not in a position to help me. And she actually passed away very quickly after that. So like the first three to five years after being kicked out, I'm just trying to survive and make sense of my life outside of this cult. And I'm doing it by myself because my brother did choose to stay in the cult and um, he and his girlfriend did have their baby. Did she end up joining the cult? 
Um, she did for a little bit, but on her own because she turned 18 around the same time as me, but, and, and they were supposed to get married, but she eventually just was like, no, this is bullshit. And I'm not going to be involved in this, which ultimately meant that they didn't get married. And she went on to have her own life. And my brother eventually married someone part of the church and is still there. He's still involved in it. I feel like that would be such a, such a tricky relationship to kind of navigate because at one point you guys were both kind of dependent on each other in leaving. And because mm-hmm. honestly, he probably has deep down, maybe not like he realizes it. I bet you anything that he has some sort of resentment towards you because he feels like you left him and you have resentment towards him because you feel like he left you. Yes. I think there is a lot of resentment from him. We don't talk to this day. He still refuses to have anything to do with me. Our another one of our brothers, he actually got in a huge fight with my dad when I was 18 and living in my own apartment. And he ran away from home and he came to me. I got a call at work that he was at our apartment and he wanted me to basically rescue him. And I couldn't. I sent him back home, which was the hardest decision I ever had to make in my life because I knew what was going on at home. But I also knew that at 18 years old, I didn't have the resources to raise him and that it would have been a big fight. My parents were kind of fighting tooth and nail. They had already figured out that he was at my house and they had called the cops. And I just didn't have the energy or the resources to fight that battle. And so I sent him home. And to this day, I'm pretty sure he hates me for it. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't talk to me either, even though he's not involved in the church anymore. Um, he lives in another state, and he doesn't talk to me because I'm pretty sure he hates me for that. I hope that you don't beat yourself up about that. I do. Honestly, I do. And I know I shouldn't, but I do because I, for the longest time, I was a parent to my siblings, and I was helping to raise them and... I I do carry a lot of that weight and guilt because my sister and I are close. Um, my three youngest siblings were close and my sister and I talk quite frequently and about these things specifically and a lot of things that happened after I left that I have a lot of guilt for because I feel like I could have prevented them if I was still there. And even though I know that that's not my responsibility, I do carry that because I do feel like I could have protected them. Okay. Yes, that is one option. One option is that you could have been there to try and protect them and you could have made everything daisies and roses and life would have been so much better for everyone. But there's also the thing that you probably don't consider a lot because that's what guilt does to us. It makes us not see all the options. It only makes us think that we stood in the way of something really great happening, but you could have gone back and you could have been sucked right back in and you could have gotten married in this cult. You could have gotten into another like abusive relationship. And then because you left and you kind of paved a path for the rest of your family to know that like leaving was a possibility, but had Mm -hmm. you come back and had you stayed with your family, 
your younger siblings might have thought, okay, well, my older sister, she left, but she came back. So what's the point in me leaving? Give yourself that credit because it's just, you can't beat yourself up that at fucking 18, you weren't there to protect everyone. You weren't there to be a parent to everyone. You're not a parent. You're a 18 year old. I don't even think of 18 as an adult. You can't even buy (laughs) cigarettes in Arizona anymore if you're not 21. (laughs) Yeah, I... I look back and I'm like, they're basically my whole teenage years were spent being an early adult and being super super responsible. And I basically missed out on having a childhood because of that. But I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I, I know that in my head, it's sometimes it's just harder not to feel that way. And that's something I'm working on. You know, I recently, <clears throat> this last year, started going to therapy just to kind of work through some of these things that are still lingering with me. And that's something we're working on is, you know, the, the feelings of guilt and the, what if I could have been the superhero in that situation? And the reality was, if I had gone back, it, I, I know what would have happened if I had gone back. And, and at one point in time, I did, I did try to go back. So when I was living in that city and my boyfriend left, I lost my apartment because of it. And went through a series of couch surfing and had some homeless nights out on the streets of the city. And at one point in time I was out on the street and I, it was super fucking cold and I didn't know where I was going to go. I had a job, but I wasn't making enough money to even cover a basic apartment in the city. And I called my dad and asked if I could come home. And he told me no that if I wanted to come home, it would have to be a process of me basically letting one of the men in the church become the quote unquote head of my household. And it would be my brother. My my younger brother was going to be the quote unquote head of my household if I wanted to come back. And I had to spend six months going through scripture and talking with him on a daily basis and talking to the pastor of the church on a daily basis and this whole like regiment for being brought back into it. So even if I agreed to that, it wouldn't have been an immediate solution for me that night when I was homeless. No one was going to come drive up to the city and pick me up and bring me home. It was, if you really want to do this, you have to go through this process to come home. And I said, fuck that. I can't do that. And my dad told me on the phone, well, you're going to hell then. And that was the last time my dad and I talked for a very long time. So if I had gone back, I know that I would have had to become this super docile, submissive person willing to let everyone know my business, letting my brother run my life, making my financial decisions for me, making my life decisions for me, because that's how they did things. And I just want to add that they wouldn't have settled for just like a quiet woman. They would have been on your ass because you've already shown that you left. So they don't want just a Mm -hmm. quiet woman. They want a woman in restraints. That's what they wanted from you. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. And there would have had to have been a public apology at church because I had suck my ass. I had, I had seen that happen. There was a girl that I grew up with in this church. She left. She left on her own. And she came back because she got pregnant. And after her baby was born, they did the same thing to her. For her to come back, she had to go through this whole process. And, like, 
have a guy assigned to her to take care like take care of her like choices and her finances and making her decisions and then she had to do a public apology at church her first day back to church she had to stand up and tell everyone what she had done and why she was wrong and repent to the whole church i would have had to have gotten married and all the kids in this church, they're all married to each other. They all, they've all both been married by the time they're in their like 18, 19, 20s. After this, we get into a more emotional conversation about life. And I loved the things that we talked about. But like I said, trying to cut all of this down into only two parts, I felt I had to cut it out as it didn't really tell the story and was more of a reflection on that time in her life. But we get into this conversation about her dad and I really love what she said. And I think it's something I really need to hear about forgiveness. So I'm including it here. And it doesn't quite fit, but that's okay. I really can't even fathom how you went on to, because I know from what you told me, like you've, you've since kind of rekindled a relationship with your dad. Mm-hmm. I like, how about you write a fucking book about forgiveness? Cause <laughs> I can't forgive like people if they look at me wrong. Oh, Ace, it's so hard because I am kind of one of those people who's a grudge holder. But when it comes to my family and this whole situation, for some reason, like, I've always been pretty forgiving about it. I got to a point as an adult where I just realized that if I spent all of my time being angry about it, it was going to do me more damage than them because when you sit on stew sit and stew on something like that and hold anger inside of you like that and you can't find forgiveness it messes you up more it it spills over into your daily life and your relationships and it did for a long time for me until basically when i had kids And I realized that being a parent is really fucking hard and that we're all human beings and we make stupid choices in life. And that's not to excuse their behavior and their choices, but I realized that for me as a parent now, if I sit and hold on to that anger towards them about it, it's going to spill over into my relationship with my kids. So I had to make that conscious choice to forgive and try to let it go. And what's ironic is after I made that decision to try to be forgiving about it, that's when my dad came back into my life. Like almost immediately. We're still having our emotional back and forth conversation here. And like I said, I'll, I'll put all of this up on Patreon because I think it's good to hear, but it's not necessary to the storyline. And this is a really awkward transition But this is really when we jump back into what's happening in the story. 
because I had been in this abusive relationship with this guy who was quite literally psychotic and did things like pull a gun on me and I had to get restraining orders on him. He got me pregnant and I lost the baby because of him being abusive. So I'm going through all of this and I think that I'm fine, but then I get to a point where I'm free from him and I go through a period of hitting even further rock bottom because I'm homeless. <laughs> but then a point comes where I am able to turn my life in a different direction. And that came about because I was able to finally get into some stable housing. And I was able to start going to school, which... I had taken classes as a teenager, college classes, but that was because my parents signed me up for them and I had parent parental permission for that. But when I'm on my own, I'm not able to go to school because I don't have transcripts for my education. I don't have any proof of being educated. So I can't go to a regular college. I can't go to university. I can't apply because I haven't taking my GED. I haven't taken my SATs. I don't have on paper evidence beyond a couple of college classes that I, I have an education. And at that point in time, you still had to have your, and I, I'm sure it's still the same way, but if you're under 21, you still had to have your parents fill out your financial aid forms. My parents refused to do that. So I couldn't go to school. So I turned 21 finally I'm in stable housing. I have a good job. I'm taking care of myself. <clears throat> I'm free of this guy. And I finally am able to get myself into college. And from there, things go way better in my life. I have some amazing friends. I start dating someone who's a really awesome person, complete opposite of the guys I had dated prior to that. And things start looking up. So it, it took... And that space of time from being kicked out at 16, 2017 to about 21, that was a lot of turmoil and a, lot, a really, really hard time in my life. It didn't get easier for me after being kicked out. It got worse, honestly. But when I turned 21 and things start looking up, it was a much better place for me. How do you keep it together through all of that? Like, I think about the struggles that I had when I was 18, 19 years old, and it was so small in comparison. And I feel like I was not resilient at all. And I feel like, you know, does resilience just come because there's nothing else that you can do? I don't know, because there were kids who got kicked out of that church. There was a girl who got kicked out right around the same time that I did. She went crazy. She literally went crazy. She got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She went crazy and she leaves the state with this guy and basically just hits rock bottom doing drugs and drinking and just really just drops out of life. And the year after that, she gets brought home. Her family goes and gets her, brings her home as she gets brought back into the church in a much faster process than I was told that I was going to be. Like they actually went and got her the minute she called her and brought her back. And I was always really mad about that 
but I realized that she was an easier person for them to handle because she wasn't a very strong person and she couldn't handle it. And she caved almost immediately got deep into drugs and alcohol and couldn't take care of herself and had to be taken care of. So she just got folded right back in and now she's married and which one of the guys in the church and has multiple babies and is hardcore all about it. But like I said, I have always had this characteristic of being a really strong surviving person. And I don't understand where it comes from because I've been through a lot in my life and the things that I've been through, I think a lot of people would maybe kind of collapse under, but I haven't. And I don't know where that comes from. Maybe God knew that this was what was going to happen to you. And God was like, you know what? Give her like a dash more strength. Give her like a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. Like he didn't give me that. Like I collapse under everything because he's like, he's fine. He has an easy life. Like he can handle it. (laughs) You know? And I think like that's, that's my personal belief when I hear that is you were pre-chosen to have these strengths and abilities because this is what was going to happen to you. And it's, it's hard to imagine that like, well, why would I be given a hard life? But like, let me, let me expand upon that because I am not Christian, but I am spiritual and I am Buddhist and, you know, being a Buddhist, we do believe in reincarnation and leading multiple lives. And what's interesting for me about that is that all throughout my childhood and my teenage years, I, I have very vivid, strong memories of dreams that I used to have. I had a lot of very vivid dreams that were kind of premonitions in a way where they would give me this strong feeling that something bad or dramatic was about to happen in my life. And it kind of like set me up to, to like be prepared for it. And I would get these strong feelings, just these gut feelings before things happened, that something was going to happen. Almost as though I knew before I came into this world what my life was going to be like. And I've always kind of believed that that sense of deja vu is where you're remembering the things you already knew about your life before you came into it. Mm -hmm. And that was very present for me, very strong for me. And like, I I specifically remember this last, the last time we went on a family vacation together before the the shit went down of me getting kicked out. We went on a family vacation, we drove to the beach and I remember feeling so heavy the entire time, like so sad, like not, not depressed, but just like sad, like on the verge of tears the entire trip, even though we were having for our family, what was very rare, a fun drama free time. I remember feeling so heady and so sad. And then the last night we were at a campground and the last night I remember sitting by the fire. My dad was sitting by the fire. My maternal grandmother was with us. And I remember just thinking to myself, this is the last time I'm going to be with them like this. This is the last time I'm going to see my grandmother this healthy. This is the last time my dad and I are going to joke about something. And sure enough, within the course of six months, I was kicked out. And so there, you know, like what you were saying about 
God and, and giving me those extra things. Like I feel that way in regards to being Buddhist as well. Like I feel like I came into my life knowing deep down what my life was going to be like. And I've just been prepared for it. If that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. And I think that's, there's, there's a part of me, like when you're telling that story, I'm just like, that is way too heavy for a 15, 15 year old (laughs) to be going through. Like, and and that's, that kind of leads me into my next question is what sort of consequences have you found in your life of being someone who did not get to grow up with a childhood? Cause you really didn't like, I'm, I am someone mm-hmm. like, obviously when we were talking earlier and I started crying about you working, I must have some sort of weird complex mm-hmm. about kids just being kids. <laughs> and, you know, I think about like, you were not a kid at all. No, I wasn't. And, you know, one of the ways that specifically like not being a kid has played out for me as an adult is that, you know, I have an 11 year old step kid and I love this kid dearly. And she is one of those people who wants to be more mature than her age. She wants to be more responsible than when she's at. And it's something that we fight over because I don't want her to be more responsible and more mature than she is now because I just want her to be a kid. <laughs> I just want her to be 11 years old and enjoy her life and enjoy being 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And that's a struggle for me because, you know, she wants to babysit and do these things. I'm like, no, at 11 years old, I was babysitting against my will. I was taking care of our household. I have a hard time requiring her to do things like chores because I just want to do it all for them so that my kids can just play and be, have fun. And I want my kids just to enjoy life. And sometimes that's a hard thing for me because I also need to teach them responsibility. I need to teach them that, you know, it's a good thing to make your bed. It's a good thing to help with the dishes. It's a good thing to know how to do laundry so that when you become an adult, you know how to do these things. It's a good thing to teach responsibility and to pass that responsibility on to them. But for me, because I was forced to take that responsibility now as an adult, it's hard for me to understand where the line is of how do you figure out what is too much responsibility for a kid to handle and what responsibilities you give them. And it's just, it's a constant daily battle for me trying to gauge, of, okay, am I asking them to do too many chores? Am I not asking them to do enough chores? Am I being a mean mom because I made my four-year-old sit in her room until her room was clean and not watch TV? <laughs> you know, the things that I think that most parents struggle with that kind of stuff anyways, but I think for a lot of parents that those are normal things. Like, yes, it is totally normal for you to have your four-year-old sit in her room until she picks up her stuffed animals off the floor. That's totally reasonable. But for me, it feels like I am being a terrible, cruel, mean mom. Teaching discipline and responsibility with my kids is a really hard thing to do. Early in our relationship, I struggle with my husband on it because he had to be the disciplinarian. And now we're not talking like we don't spank our kids. Like we don't spank our kids. Like our kids get time out, maybe grounded. Like we're not strict disciplinarians on them. 
but he had to be the one who was the disciplinarian because I would, if my, my biological daughter had to take a timeout, it would cause me to have an anxiety attack and melt down and, and cry and be mad at him and make him feel like he was an abusive parent for having our, our two-year-old take a timeout when she hit someone. There's a lot of trauma for me around that. And that's something I've had to work really hard on. And it's something my husband has had to be very patient with because he's a great, great dad and he has it way more figured out than I do. So he's had to kind of pull my hand through it. (laughs) That's really interesting to me to hear because I feel like most of the time when we not, well, maybe not, I shouldn't say most of the time, but most of the time in my experience from what I've met with other people who have been in, you know, who have had traumatic childhoods or anything like that, they almost have a lack of sympathy for their kids because of the fact that they're like, Oh, trust me, like this is nothing, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny or I shouldn't say it's funny. God, that's the fucking worst word I could use. Um, (laughs) I know what you mean though. It's, it's eye opening to hear you say that it takes such a toll on you. Yeah. Parenting is really fucking hard for me. It is. Um, it causes me a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress because I'm constantly worried about how am I ruining their life? And I know that I'm a good mom. People tell me that I'm a good mother. I'm a good parent and that I seem like I have it together, but I struggle with this every day. This is an everyday struggle for me. I want to talk about, so eventually you moved back to the town that you grew up in. Yes. I I moved back twice. Like I kind of go back and forth between here and the bigger city just for different reasons. Like it's a lot cheaper to live here where I'm at now in our, in our little town. Um, ultimately decided to come back here because I had a friend who was in some trouble and needed some help. And I came back here, didn't intend on staying here, planned on being here for like my last year of school transferred to the university here and ended up staying here met my husband and really stayed here because <laughs> he's from here he grew up here and you know this is this is where he loves to be and we have family here his family's here and when we started having kids we just we talked about moving but with our situation too with having you know a split custody of a child we just realized that for now, this is a good place to be because it's very low cost living. We have great jobs here. Our kids are growing up knowing the same friends and in the same group friend group. And we had kind of dabbled into this conversation earlier, but I, I want to make sure mm-hmm. that we get to it before we end. You said that you see your mom at the grocery store. <laughs> like It's a small town. It's, it's like 20,000 people at most. And so I regularly see my mom and people from the church all the time. We have, we have similar friend circles. Like there's kids from the church that I grew up with who are now friends with people that I know outside of it. And they're in the community. They have jobs in the community. They go to the university. I would say like a good estimate is like, I see someone from that church at least two or three times a week. I see my mom like every couple of weeks, like at the grocery store. I'll be, and it's so silly because I'll be at the grocery store and I'll see her and she pretends not to see me, but then I'll feel someone watching me and I'll turn around and I'll catch her peeking at us from around the corner of an aisle. 
<laughs> because she's never met her grandchildren and she quite obviously just wants to get a glimpse of them, but she won't come up and say hi. And if I went up to her and said, hi, she would just walk away. Like I'm shunned. She does not talk to me at all. There are people from the church who are a little more, I think, having not been there in 15 years, 16 years, I think that the dynamic has changed. It seems like from what I can tell, because they are a little more open and they'll say hi to me or say, Hey, how are things going? But in general, they still don't talk to me very much. Um, But I'm not like totally shunned to the point where like they see me and they turn around and don't talk to me. But my mom's still like, she's done it for so long now that how could she possibly break character now? It'd be like a can of worms for her. I, I would hate, I mean, I'm a stubborn person, but I would hate to be stubborn to that point. Yeah. I mean, that's really just really upsetting for her. Like she looks like an unhappy person. She looks miserable. And like I said, she and my dad got divorced this last year and my dad came back into my life right around the time that my youngest Uh, baby was born and he's now a year and a half old my mom has not met my kids seems to firmly believe that I am a bad person tells other people that I've heard it (laughs) even even recently (laughs) one of my brothers has a girlfriend who goes to lunch with my mom and my mom specifically told her that I'm a terrible person and that she has no interest in being a part of my life ever again I have a lot of thoughts about about your mom. (laughs) Well, this is is what's going to blow your mind really right now, though, because I was going to tell you this. My mom sent me a Facebook friend request two days ago. (gasps) Yeah. And I messaged her and I was not nice. I mean, I was polite, but I was like, okay, look here. Like you, you basically made a point to tell me that you're not my mom for like, you know, the last 16 years of my life. Um, but you're just going to casually send me a Facebook friend request. Like what's going on? And she hasn't messaged me back. Like she saw it and she hasn't messaged me back, but she hasn't deleted her friend request either. And I haven't accepted it. So I'm just like sitting here over here in limbo land. Like maybe she accidentally sent me a friend request. Like maybe her account got hacked and she sent like everyone locally that she's not already friends with a friend request. I don't know, but yeah, that happened. The last time we talked was a week ago. And then... I know. Oh, my God. I uh, almost messaged you right after it happened. Like, oh, my God, Ace. <laughs> this oh, just happened. Oh, but I was like, no, I'll wait. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay, to end this interview, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to just walk me yeah. through the good in your life. I want to hear about only good yeah. in what you're doing with okay. your kids. Just, just everything good. Yeah. Um, I really do have a good life. My, like I said, my dad is a part of my life again. And even though it might seem strange for me to be forgiving towards him, um, I, I am. And he is very, it's very heavy on on him, the decisions that he made in life. And we spent a lot of time talking about it and ultimately decided that, you know, we're not going to linger on the past. We're just going to go forward and he's going to be part of my life. And I, I love my dad and I have great memories from him as a kid before the Colts, like I talked about. And so for me, it was a little bit easier just to say, okay, we're just going to move forward. You're part of my grand, you know, part of your grandkids life. And, you know, he's not spending like every day with us. He's not like watching the kids while we're on vacation, but like, 
we're able to have Christmas with him and I can text with him and go over to his house and hang out with him and his girlfriend. And, and we generally enjoy it and have a good time. It's a positive thing. So I'm, I'm happy about that. That's for me, that feels like a good closure point for the past and moving forward. And then my husband and I have been married for two years and he is just absolutely the most wonderful person on the planet. And even though my mental health is frustrating sometimes, and even though I have PTSD and I have anxiety and I go through these periods of time where I just, I really low, he is always there. Even if he doesn't totally understand, I have three amazing children who are freaking hilarious and keep me on my toes and are 100% somehow my karma in life and just crazy and amazing. And I have an amazing job. I love what I do. I, I'm a birth doula as well, and I'm attending births and helping people through birth and postpartum. In addition to being a photographer and being there for all those intimate moments in people's lives, so it's it's truly rewarding. And even though I have struggles in general, I have a good life. It's a good balance. I had no intentions of including this in the podcast, but I think a lot of good is shared in these last few minutes. And I just wanted to share them with you. Warning, if you don't want to hear me crying once again, (laughs) just skip ahead. I know that your time is limited, but I want to say this, and this is not for the podcast. So we'll cut this shit okay. out because I don't, I, I, <laughs> I'm too emotional. But um, I just wanted to say that, like, I'm, I'm really sorry that you went through all of that. Oh, God. I hate myself. You're going to make me cry. Um, <laughs> You're going to make me cry. And I just, you know, I... It breaks my, like, like I said, I told you, I have some, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's my reincarnation, but like, I have some really weird complex with kids, not just getting to be kids on very simple forms. Like it bothers me, but for you, it's to such an extreme and you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you went through all of that and I'm happy that you're, you are where you are now. And it's, it's, I hope you know that your story is inspiring to so many different people, not just people who've been in your place. It's inspiring to me who, like I told you, I grew up, I feel like pretty privileged. Like I don't feel like I had a difficult life or obviously we all have our own struggles and stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's inspiring to me that, you know, when I'm a parent, I want to, you know, love my kids as much as I can. I want to be there for them. And as a, uncle now, like I want to make sure that my nieces and nephews all feel supported. And, and also whenever I hear stories like yours, it's like, I have this really awful thing about me when I, when I see people living on the street, I always just think like, "Mm -hmm, that's where drugs and stuff get you. And whenever I'm always thankful for stories like yours, because it, it, it reminds me that that's not the case that there are people living on the streets because their families are pieces of shit and 
push them to that point and they don't have anywhere else to go. And I'm I'm always so thankful for any time someone reignites that in me because I'm like, I need to be better. I need to, I need to give more love to those people. And so I just, I really appreciate you and I'm sorry that you went through. Well, thank you. And you know, thank you for letting me talk about this. It's, this is honestly the most I've ever talked about it. <laughs> and I mean, it is like this last week, I've been super crazy emotional about it and, but it's, but it's good. It's yeah. good to talk about it. And it is, it is healing. Like it, it, even though it does feel traumatic a little to, to go through some of it again, it's, it's good to talk about it and get it off my chest mm-hmm. because I haven't talked about it. So thank you for letting me talk about it. I think the biggest thing that anyone can ever do for another person as a parent, as a person is just recognize that we all need to just be loved. Mm-hmm. No matter what's going on in our lives, we just need to be loved and not pushed away. I know that the flow of this episode wasn't the best, but don't let that take away from the story here. This woman, when she was just a young girl, faced a lot of hardships in her life, and she kept going. And if you think about yourself at 16, like I think about myself, yeah, I'm, I had a moral compass at the time to some degree, but was I willing to be homeless to protect my morals? No. I would have sold my soul to avoid the situation that she found herself in, but she, she did not. And through all of that, the support system that she should have had during hard times was completely non-existent and she still persevered. I'm just, I said it at the end, but I'm going to say it again. I'm really proud of her and I know she's listening to this, so I want her to hear that. And I hope that if anyone is listening to this, who is in a hard time and feels like giving up and giving in. It's going to sound cliche, but you got to just keep going. You have to keep fighting because her life didn't just get better over the course of one night. She had to go through a lot of years of pain and suffering and doors just being slammed in her face. But in the end, she made it out and she is happy and she's living a life full of love. And I think that's all any of us really want. So that's my advice to you. Keep going. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure that you are staying at home. I will see all of you next week. Everybody has a secret.